0: Let me read the text for you as we open it in 3 1 through 6, and as it prepares our hearts for the Lord's table. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner for Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. Father, thank you for this wonderful text. Father, it probably could be that when the Gentiles first heard this, that out of the entire book of Ephesians, chapter 3 was the most thrilling for them. Father, we come to crucial truth for junior high students today, for high school students, for singles, for adults and families, as we understand the unfolding of this mystery. Be our teacher Father, may the Spirit illuminate the truth to our mind. And then, Father, as it leads into the Lord's table, may we give glory to Christ. We ask this in His name. Amen. I mentioned that in my prayer that this may have been one of the greatest joys when they first heard this read in their worship services. This must have thrilled their hearts. Not only do we find the mystery in chapter 3, but certainly, we come even this morning to one of the greatest portions in all of the scripture into the heart of the Apostle Paul. He was an apostle to the Gentiles. I don't make more of Paul than I do of Christ because Paul said that he preached the unsearchable riches of Christ. But he was the one to whom the revelation was given to him, to the holy apostles, to the prophets who was conveyed it to us, to the saints. You're holding it in your lap even now. Now, the focus of chapter 3 is really clear. It's on the mystery of Christ. Look at verse 3. This mystery, he says, was made known to me. He says in verse 4 that you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ. It's stated again in verse 6, the mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs. And then in verse 9, to bring to light for everyone, what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things? So the mystery of Christ. You say, what is the mystery? Well, it's not a secret because it's been revealed. It's not hidden anymore. It's revealed. It's, look, it's specifically spotted and, and spoken of in verse 6. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the body, partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. It's the inclusion of the Gentiles. It's the local church. This is how the local church came to be. Obviously, it began in Acts 2, but it was formed and revealed to Paul and to the holy apostles and the prophets. Remember, part of this mystery he's already spoken of in chapter 1, all the spiritual blessings that don't just come to believing Jews, but become to believing Gentiles. Blessed, you know, are you that every spiritual blessing has come to you in Christ Jesus. Certainly, the mystery revealed partly in chapter 2, where the Christ had broken down, if you will, the dividing wall, where he took Two new people or two people, separate and hostile, and made them one. He took both Jew, believing Jew, and Gentile, and gave them both access to God the Father, possessing all the blessings of inheritance. Now, remember when we said last week, when we speak of a mystery, we're not talking about a mystery novel. We're not talking about a mystery movie. We're not talking about, though I love to read, Sherlock Holmes. That is not what we're talking about here. Those types of mystery are obscure. They're actually kind of secretive, if you will, and they're solved by human ingenuity and imagination, and usually by the end of the book, Sherlock put it all together. But this is not what the Bible means here when it speaks of mystery. That Greek word is mysterion, if you will. And it, it, it conveys the idea of something beyond human knowledge. It's not that it was just seen here in the book of Ephesians. It was previously hidden, but now it's opened And it's open here specifically by divine revelation through the Holy Spirit. And again, the mystery is the glorious mystery of the Gentiles. Now, we've been taking a number of the keys that kind of direct the path for us in chapter 3, all of chapter 3, verse 1, down through 13. And we just looked last week at the prisoner and the steward of the mystery. Let me just remind you of that. Look at 3.1. Paul says there, for this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, and then he stops. I don't know if it's in your translation, but my publisher, at least in this ESV, says on behalf of you Gentiles, and then it shows, I don't know if it does not yours, a broken line, because as he begins to talk about prayer here, the phrase is utterly broken off. And we say when it's utterly broken off, there's no predicate attached, and for those of you in English grammar, to this sentence. And so he says, for this reason, and he was going to launch into prayer, but then he says, I, Paul, and then he cites himself sitting In a prison, he's a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. And then he goes on to a parenthetical thought. There's a parenthesis in this chapter. You say, well, where does the parenthesis end? Well, it ends at verse 13. And then he picks up his original thought. Look at verse 14. For this reason, this is what he was going to say. I bow my knees before the Father. And so then he launches into his wonderful prayer and proceeds now in verse 14 where he was in three one for this reason. So instead of completing his thought, he interrupts himself in verse 2 through 13 as a parenthesis only to come back to his original thought in verse 14. Now, he says there as he begins to open up, for this reason, and we noted last week, well, for what reason? For all that he's just said in chapter 2. For all the work that the Lord Jesus Christ has done to break down the dividing wall. To take two hostile people and make them one in the bond of Christ. And then as we looked at the end of chapter 2, he made you part of God's household, which is what Lucy was saying today. We're family, we're brothers and sisters. He took two people who hated each other and he brought them together and gave them a common inheritance. So he says there, for this reason, and then he says, I, Paul, and then he says, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and you just forget that this is a prison epistle, that he's been in jail. We don't know exactly where he wrote this, but for five years, he was arrested back in Acts 21, and we went through that. He was arrested, and he had to stand before the Sanhedrin. And then he had to stand before Festus, and then he had to stand before Felix, and then he appealed to Caesar, and he goes off to Rome to appear before King Agrippa. But he is a prisoner, and I love this statement, look in verse 1, not of Rome, not of the Jewish leadership, he's a prisoner for Christ Jesus for this purpose, look at 3.1, on behalf of you Gentiles. In other words, he was an apostle to the Gentiles, and we'll speak of that. But he says, I was a prisoner for you. And then he says in verse two, remember, and this is where we left off, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. In other words, this is for you. I'm in prison for this message, I'm a, a prisoner. Because of the good news of the gospel. I am in chains for that. And he's he's not upset. He's giving glory to God. In fact, look down in verse 13 at the bracket. So I ask you, he says, speaking probably both to Jewish and Gentile believer, not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is for your glory. And so he's rejoicing in that. Now Paul says, this is so important, that he was given a stewardship, okay? And we mentioned last week, it's the word for manager. Uh, Sometimes in some translations they say he was given an administration, okay? And the idea is he's conducting business on behalf of another. Paul looked at himself as a steward. He was given something by God, Now look specifically what was given. It said there, he heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me. Grace was given to Paul. In other words, this stewardship not just was handed to him, but given to him, not in his own choosing, but by the grace of God, and I think he never got over that, I think even though he's sitting in in a Roman prison, likely, Caesarea or Rome, when he wrote this, I think he's in Rome. He's chained from other passages to a Roman guard. He's rejoicing, and I thought to myself, how about us this morning? This guy was not only redeemed... On Acts, in Acts 9 on the Damascus Road, but he was called from the very beginning to be an apostle, and he's given this stewardship, and it was God's grace, and he never got over that. Look at 3.7. He says, of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace. He never got over this. Look at verse 8. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was Given The undeserved favor of God. And I mentioned last week, this is not just the grace of salvation. This is a grace gifting, if you will. It's the grace of being an apostle. Now, he says it again. Look at the end, of, uh, or in verse 2. This God's grace was given to me for you, the Gentile believers. He's in prison for this stewardship. Let me just show you one thing of another passage that is very similar to this. Look over at the book of Colossians. It's a wonderful section of scripture. It just illuminates what he's saying right here. But he, he goes on into this stewardship in verse 25. He's talking about for the sake of his body at the end of verse 24, he's suffering for your sake. 124 of Colossians. For the sake of his body, that is the church, he says of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known, and then he explains it, the mystery hidden for ages and generations but now revealed to his saints To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Very similar. Look back to the book of Ephesians. Uh, you, You might say, okay, stewardship was given to him. Management was given to him. He was given responsibility. That which was given to him was the grace of God... And always God's gifts are never for myself, yourself. Your gifting is always for another. And his gifting was the Gentiles. But you say specifically though, in this stewardship and by this grace, what was given to him? Look at verse three. How? He's explaining this. He just, here's this parenthetical thought. How the mystery was made known Watch this, to me by revelation as I have written to you briefly. And so this brings us to the second key. Not only is Paul a prisoner and steward of the mystery, but let's just walk in this. Here's the mystery of revelation. This mystery, Paul says there, was made known to me. And it was made known to Paul. Look again in verse 3 by revelation. This is crucial. What is that? He was given revelation. God spoke to him, okay? The the ideal of revelation here is an uncovering. It's something that previously had been covered, if you will, but now it's uncovered and it's revealed, well, what is this? This revelation was direct communication from God. You say direct? Yes, direct. That's why this carries apostolic authority, high school students. This is why this carries apostolic authority, junior high students and adults. God spoke to him, revealed to him the mystery that was, un, that was covered, and now it's uncovered. You say, well, when did he receive that? Well, let me show you. Look over in the book of Galatians, okay? The book of Galatians, in fact, look back just a couple pages. Go back to the book of Galatians. Don't know if you've ever quite seen it in this way. He says, I was, and I'm in Galatians 1.14, and I'm, when did Paul, when did God give Paul this revelation? He says, I was advancing in Judaism in 1.14, he's unsaved Saul, Right? Beyond many of my own, my own age, among my people, so extremely zealous was I for the tradition of my fathers. You know this in Acts 1 through 9. But when he, who set me apart, amazing, before I was born, just stop there for a second. He set Paul apart before he was born, even though he was utterly a legalistic Jew, a Hebrew of Hebrews, persecuting believers, going from city to city with letters and arresting them. And then at the death of Stephen, he's holding their coats. And then in the amazing sovereignty of God, verse 15, he who had set me apart, not on the Damascus road, but before I was born, and who called me, there's our phrase again, by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son to me, For this purpose, in order that I might preach him. I love that. Preach him among the Gentiles. He said, I didn't immediately consult with anyone. Interesting. Nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. You say, where did he go? He went into Arabia. What was he doing? He was receiving divine, direct revelation from very God. That's why when we open this book, it's not a triteful thing, and you know that. If you're visiting with us, that's why there's a tone in this book of authority because of who he is, but it's God's grace in his life. But he, he, he goes away. You say, well, what happened? Well, look at 118. Then after three years... He's away, I think, receiving that direct revelation. I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him 15 days. I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother, in whom I am writing to you before God. I do not lie. Then I went up into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. Only they kept hearing it said that he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith that he once tried to s- destroy. And they glorified God because of me. Now, this is a letter, but we're separating them from chapters. But look at chapter 2, verse 1. And then after 14 years, I went up to, uh, again to Jerusalem with Barnabas taking Titus along with me. Now I'm not sure if this is 14 years in total or if you're adding three years to 14 and it's 17 years. So he gets saved and then for 14 to 17 years he's away receiving direct revelation. So I just say to you, this is nowhere in my notes, this carries weight to us, does it not? This carries authority because of Paul and so he received this revelation. In fact, go back to the book of Ephesians chapter 3, just so I could trace the author's intent here. He says how the mystery was made known to me by revelation. And then he just says, "I have, as I have written briefly. What's he talking about? He's talking about Ephesians. He's talking about chapter 1, chapter 2. I've written to you. But look on now, he says in verse 4, that when you read this, now you say, why did he say, when you read this? Well, you say, Scott, you're making a big deal. I don't want to make a big deal out of it. Many of these people were, not all, were illiterate. And when the gospel first came, it came through direct revelation, written down by the holy apostles and the prophets. We'll see that in a minute. And it was read to the congregations. So he says, I've written to you. We're holding Ephesians. But oftentimes, what these holy apostles, prophets, elders would do is they would read to the congregation. And I guarantee you, when they got to chapter 3 and they read, people wept. And listen, if you're not Jewish here, here's where you come in. You're part of the plan of God And so he said, I've wrote it in one and two. And when you hear this read, and here Paul didn't want it just read. He didn't want them to have a vague understanding of the mystery. So look at verse four. So that you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ. So that you could perceive. And the idea there is I want you to comprehend this. And listen, you know, I'm not the Apostle Paul, but this is the Word of God, and I desperately want you to comprehend this because it's the Word of God. He says, so that you can perceive and comprehend my insight. And the word for insight is I want you, Paul says, to grasp this. I want you to understand the full significance, he says in verse 4, into the mystery of Christ Jew and Gentile together, part of God's family, the local church. And you say, what does he say, though? Well, look again at verse 5. Which was, the mystery he's talking about, not made known to the sons of men in other generations. Now, you say, what do you mean it was not made known? Well, he, he says it wasn't made known to the sons of men, and it's just a phrase for Mankind. It was not made known to mankind. In other words, what we're talking about wasn't even revealed to God's chosen people, Israel. They did not fully know the revelation of this mystery. You say, well, how so? And I want to explain this. I think it would be fair to say that the Old Testament prophets and writers only had maybe. A partial understanding. Certainly a limited understanding to what Paul is stating. But here, to the Apostle Paul, to the Apostles, to the prophets, what is now revealed is not hidden anymore. It's been disclosed. In fact, the Old Testament prophecies spoke, they did, of the inclusion of the Gentiles but this could only be understood and interpreted in light of the New Testament teaching. Let me give you some examples. In fact, in the book of Genesis 12, 3, it says there, let me bring this up. We won't have time to turn to all of these. Go to the next slide. It says, I will speak, God speaking to Abraham. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse And in you, you know this phrase, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. We know that. All the families, not just the Jewish people, but through Abraham and through his line, there would be a blessing to all families, to all people, to all nations. This is Tyler and Lucy's heart. Less than 1% of 3 million people know Christ, that in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. We knew that. I think we knew that God would save Gentiles as well as Jews from the beginning. But before the coming of Christ, this happened only to the Gentiles when they became Jews, you might say, through proselytizing in other words, to become a Jewish person, you had to become a member of the covenant people through the rite of circumcision. And even then, you were just kind of attached, but you're not part of the family. No one understood this until Paul penned Galatians eight. okay? Look how it became true. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify, and this is key, we don't have time, the Gentiles by faith, it's always through faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying, in you, what? All the families of the nations will be blessed in you. So it was spoken of all the way back in Genesis 12, but it finds its fulfillment here when Paul and God would justify, God specifically, the Gentiles by faith. And so it was there, but it, it was hidden and it's revealed. Let me show you another one, Isaiah. It's Isaiah chapter 49, verse 6. He says, is it too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob to bring back the preserved of Israel for speaking to them? I will make you, and you've seen this scripture before, as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. It was spoken that that the light would be not just for the Jewish people, but for the nations for this reason that God's salvation would reach and extend and find itself all the way to the ends of the earth. Jewish people would read that. But it never came into full light until Acts 13. This is the New Testament. Go to the next slide. Just showing you this. Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly. It was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you, to the Jewish people. First, since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold... Here then they begin to go to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us saying, quoting Isaiah, I have made you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And so I just show you a couple places. It was stated in the Old Testament, but it was hidden. And so now there's a revelation. Now something's been disclosed. And what's been disclosed is that the Gentiles our fellow partakers of the word of God. I mean, the Old Testament saints looked forward towards the Messiah in Genesis, but they had no idea that it would be the church body. They had no idea that the Gentiles aren't just an attachment to the Jewish religion. God broke down the barrier. He created two people and he created one new man, one new humanity. And now, this is why he goes into the sovereignty of God in chapter 1. He wants you to understand that you just weren't attached to the plan of God in the Old Testament. That God had you in mind. That he chose you before the foundation of the world. That you were part of the plan of God, but here it's being revealed. Not only are you part of the plan of God, but you're in God's household. Chapter 2, verse 19. You're part of God's dwelling. He dwells with you. You are God's temple. You are part of the church which was hidden and now has come alive where that church is now no respecter and makes no distinction between people. You say, well, then if the prophets were writing and they understood and they grasped part of it, yes, but they were writing things they didn't always grasp. So how do you know that? This next verse, I'm just pointing it to you. You can write these down and look at them. 1 Peter chapter 1 in verse 10 concerning the salvation. The prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours. You like this? They searched. They inquired carefully. Inquiring what person or time the spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he had predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you. In other words, they're writing things and under the inspiration of the Spirit, not for themselves, but for you, in things that have been announced to you through those who preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Things into which, what? Angels long to look. So what do you mean angels long to look? Angels are not omniscient. And I'm just telling you, as this mystery was being revealed, it's as though the angels are looking down, watching the unfolding of it. The prophets spoke of the suffering servant, but it was finally connected by the dots as what was previously hidden was now revealed in the New Testament. I mean, who knew? Who knew that God's people would be temporarily, and I'm going to make that, I don't have to go into that, temporarily set aside. In other words, there is a future for Israel, but temporarily set aside by a global community called the church, that this church would be the body of Christ on earth. That Christ would function in this body as the living head. That Jew and Gentile would no longer be hating each other, but they would be part of the same blessings of God with no distinction. So listen, beloved. I think this is why Paul got to this point for this reason. And he's going to launch into his prayer. And the Spirit of God takes him into this parenthesis. And he says, I am a prisoner of this mystery, and the revelation of this mystery has now been revealed or uncovered, the mystery which in other generations was not made known to the sons of men. So look what he says again back in Ephesians 3, 5. It was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, 5b, as it now has been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. So what does that mean? Well, those men, not all men, nobody speaks for God today. Nobody has a revelation from God. Nobody can give you a word from God. Now, some people use that language. Why? It's already been revealed. You say, how? There in verse 3, 5. It's been revealed. It's been uncovered. And it's not uncovered then and they wrote it and some today. No, it was uncovered, verse 5, and revealed to the apostles and the prophets. They are, beloved, uh, the instruments to write and to record Scripture. That's why we're holding the Bible in our lap. And they wrote And recorded the scripture by, you see it there in verse 5, the Spirit. In other words, there's the divine agency by which the revelation came to these men. And it comes with divine authority. It comes with and comes by holy men. These men were set apart to do such. And you know that an apostle had to see and witness the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. And the prophets were given inspiration by the Spirit of God. Second Peter, look at the next slide. Knowing this, first of all, Peter, the Apostle Peter, that no prophecy of Scripture ever comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Listen, let me just say gently to you. You're holding in your lap a Bible. You're looking at it electronically. It is the holy word of God. It's been given by God to these holy apostles, to these prophets who recorded the scripture for us. In fact, it kept, and I won't go into John 14 and 15, that's all on our website in our teaching, that the apostles were going to be given the truth by the Lord Jesus Christ, and that was fulfilled even here. Now, you say, what what is it exactly again? He just sums it up. Look at verse 6. This mystery is that what was given to them. The Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ. You say, well, what's he doing? He's just explaining the unfolding of the mystery. And he puts it, interesting, in the language, um, in three parallel expressions And on every one of these expressions, there's a prefix attached to the the Greek word. And so what he says here, and I'll say it, it's a little different in the translation, that they are either co, is that prefix, or literally fellow, okay? And he's speaking of the Jews and the Gentile believers, are fellow heirs, fellow members, and fellow partakers of Christ. So listen, here's just the take-home for you. He just unfolds the mystery just a little bit more. He says, number one, that the Gentiles are now, you could see it in three, six, fellow heirs. In other words, if you're not Jewish in here, you are a fellow heir with any Jewish believer. You just didn't come attached to it You are part and parcel of the plan of God for the ages. You are no longer, back into that language of chapter 2, a stranger, an alien. No longer are you excluded from the commonwealth of Israel. No longer are you not having any kind of divine inheritance. No, you are a chosen people. Listen, you got to know who you are. You're a chosen people. He predestined you unto adoption. He not only made you saved, but he pulled you into his very family with all the rights, with all the privileges that were given to the nation of Israel. You have become a son of Abraham by faith. You are, in this point, a fellow heir in God's family. You are brothers and sisters with each other, and you are part of the church, and you're here. You're part of the family of God. So if you ever see me get exercised about what we're doing, it's, I just can't believe that he's placed me, took a, just an arrogant teenager from, in many ways, an unsaved family for my first eight years and not only redeemed me and saved me, but placed me in a body. Put me in this local body here. Made Grace Church of the Valley the place where I have the wonderful joy to minister. But even beyond that, he's made you a fellow heir. In fact, Paul said in Romans eight seventeen, If children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. I mean, how do you... Do you wake up insecure ever? Do you wake up on FOMO, fear of missing out? <laughs> do you have to check stuff on social media? Or do you just have the wonderful understanding that if you're in Christ this morning, you are a fellow heir? And you now have as a fellow heir access to God. And you have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Listen, I would say if we grasp that together, it would change our life. Here's part of the unfolding of that mystery. We're fellow heirs. But secondly, look, in verse 6, not just fellow heirs, but he says there in the ESV, members of the same body, but there's still that uh, attachment there, that prefix, so I'm going to call it fellow members of the body, okay? Fellow members, in other words, we not only an heir and we have a great inheritance, let me just back up just one second on fellow heir. We sing so many songs like that today, we're, you know, we're heading to Zion City, but I'm afraid so often that our hearts are sometimes attached to this world. Your future is attached to the Biden administration, and I'm saying that sarcastically. (laughs) You are a fellow heir, and now here he's made you a fellow member of the body. He's reconciled you in chapter two. He's reconciled, if you will, the nations, calling them out of every racial distinction, of every ethnic group. He's placed us into one body. It's the body of Christ. It's called the church. Amazing. And Christ is the head, and you're part of that. Listen, I just give a little word. I don't want to be uh, caustic in this. Some of you men have been here a long time, and you're just sitting there. I, I want to encourage you to come Saturday morning to our breakfast. Get up somewhere and do something for the body of Christ. And listen, I know some of you are in transition, so take that in the right spirit. Uh, You mean God is just exploding elements of our youth group. And I I meant that positively, exploding. Uh, Matt told me today, just was at the membership class, listening to a group of uh, members or people who desire to give baptism at our service on April 11th. God's doing something, and I want you to be part of that. Listen, I don't know if you've ever realized this, and I don't mean to talk down to you, but you have been called out individually, if you're in Christ, to be part of the church universal. I get that. I was at the church universal yesterday in Santa Carita preaching to 300 men, worshiping with these guys. I get that. But he's called you to be part of a church here particular. There's... Universal church, there's local church. He just said you're fellow members of the body. You're, you're part of the body of Christ. He's the head. And here's a local expression. Listen, let me encourage you. You're no longer outsiders. You are insiders. You are no longer strangers to the covenant of promise. You are fellow members. You are not a distant third cousin, okay? You're family, You say, why do you say a distant third cousin? Because I know of one young man in our church who has over 60 cousins in the San Joaquin Valley and he's not met all of them, (laughs) you know. He has so many cousins, he's not met all of his third cousins. But listen, you're not a distant relative. You're part of the body of Christ. You say, ah, Scott, but uh, yeah, I come. No, you know what Paul says about you? He he says, like you think, ah, I'm I'm just here. No, you're not just here. You're part of our body, and we need you. And and the church needs you. In fact, this body won't be what it needs to be until all of us take up the part and the gifting that the Lord has caused and called us to play in that body. In fact, I would just be truthful for you. Here's what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 12. He said, the member that we deem less honor upon, God bestows more abundant honor. So listen, you might think of yourself and you think I don't know you do matter we care greatly about you and we need you but you're not a distant relative you're number one fellow heirs number two you're fellow members you're part of a body of Christ listen Do you know how this came off I'm trying to capture how this came off it must have been when this was said the inclusion of the Gentiles with the believing Jews in one body was the spiritual equivalent of saying that lepers, lepers, no longer are to be isolated. They're now perfectly free to intermingle and associate with everyone else as normal members in the society. Now, you know that wouldn't happen then. They would see a leper, shout, leper! And then they would move themselves so they didn't get downwind of a leper thinking they could, you know, contract the disease. But, He just now says to lepers, no, 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 you're no longer lepers. You're part of the body of Christ. It would be like saying, and here's how radical this statement is. I think this will come off radical. That there will no longer be in the United States liberals and conservatives. Yeah, you say, that's impossible. The divide is so great. And I would say, yes, that is impossible. But imagine if you're a Gentile thinking you're on the outside and he says, no, you're not on the outside, you're on the inside. You're no longer a stranger and an alien. You're now part of this body. In other words, we are in the church, not politically, but in the church, we're fellow members. In fact, here's how I want you to look at it. You have divine genes. Divine genes with each other. Certainly, your human birth determines at points your racial and ethnic distinctions. I'm a Greek by birth. But your spiritual birth unites us as members of the same body, amen? So you're a fellow heir, a fellow member, thirdly, fellow partakers of the promise. Do you see that in verse six? Fellow partakers of the promise. And I think the promise is the mystery think the promise is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Jewish believer, Gentile believer, any other believer for that matter are all united in one person to Jesus Christ. So Paul declares that Gentiles and Jewish believers together are fellow heirs of the same blessing, fellow members of the same body, fellow partakers of the same promise that was given to All of those saints who knew the Lord in the Old Testament, now we become partakers of those promises. Now, just one final phrase. And to me, it might be the best one. He's not just talking about here the brotherhood of man. He's not just talking about, hey, we're all part of the same team. I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about the culture of a team and athletics. I'm not talking about the United States in which we live, in which we seem to be more divided than ever. And neither is Paul. You say, how so? Look at the text. He said, there in verse 6, he said, partakers of the promise. Watch this. In what? Christ Jesus. He's the link, he's the cornerstone he's the living head. You've got to be in Christ. And so I'm begging you, are you in Christ this morning? Have you personally, individually, come to a place of saving faith where you have bowed the knee of your wicked, fallen heart and cried out for the mercy of what the Lord has done for you on the cross? But that's not the last thing he said. Look at it. <laughs> in three, six partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus. Do you like this last phrase? Through the gospel. Through the good news. You say, uh, what's the gospel? Well, you know the gospel is the good news. Like I'd, if I had a mic up here, it'd be, I'd like to bring you up and say, could you articulate the gospel? And I'm being a little facetious there because there's so much written On the gospel, praise God for it, in the evangelical church that it just, in my mind, uh, we just keep talking phrases instead of just unpacking theology. Here's the gospel. You know it. I'm saying it to encourage you. Look, for I would remind you as we come up to resurrection, brothers, of the gospel. There's the euangelion, the good news. He said, I preach to you what you receive in which you stand. And what is it? I delivered to you of first importance what I received. Here's the gospel. You know this, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. There's the gospel. So listen, rejoice in who you are. Rejoice in what the Lord has made you. And listen, I probably got off a little bit on the practical section of what the church looks like. I just can't wait to get to chapter four through six. And it's going to be convicting because he wants this body to glorify him. And I think in many ways we are. But I want us to be a church that's that's an Ephesian-like church out of the truth of God's word that we would obey what's there. He's just laying down the principles that he's given us great unity together.